And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Buffalo Beat here. Uh, thank you for joining us. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and with me is my podcast co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And this evening, on Saturday, January 9th, for the first time in Buffalo Beat podcast history, we are speaking to you after a Bills postseason win. And the last time the Bills won in the postseason... It was well before podcasts were even dreamed about back in 1995. So the Bills took care of business. It was probably a little infuriating at times for fans, especially in the late stages there. But nonetheless, they got the job done. They beat the Indianapolis Colts 27-24. to We're recording this on Saturday evening, so we still have to wait for the other two AFC games. Well, really, the... Uh, the, the Steelers-Browns game is the is the most important one here. But we're still waiting for those results to see who the Bills will play in the second round. But regardless, the Bills are through to the divisional round for the first time in a very long time. And we'll just start it right where we should. The guy who accounted for almost 90% of their yards in this game. The guy who led them from what could have been a loss on most weeks probably would have been a loss last year for the bills team in the way that they played in the way that he played last year but josh allen doing what he did particularly right at the end of the the first half too um he was outstanding for them minus that fumble near the end of the game and just the absolute reason to reaffirm that they are in fact Super Bowl contenders and and just playing as well as anybody could could want them to right now on offense. Yeah, the the stat I read to you right before we jumped on air um, is probably a good place to start. Uh, when he took more than three seconds to throw the ball, Josh Allen was thirteen of eighteen for two hundred and four yards and both of his touchdowns, which does not that stat can tell you a few different things. Sometimes it can tell you a quarterback has a lot of time to throw. In the case of Josh Allen, it tells you a quarterback tells you about a quarterback who's buying a lot of time to throw. And that's what he did against the Colts. He was under pressure quite a bit. And even when he wasn't directly under pressure, there was good coverage and he had to find a way to move around, extend plays, get outside the pocket make plays off script. He had one throw to Stefan Diggs that was like flat-footed off his back foot. It was in the pocket, but just those off-platform, off-script, weird throws that really you don't see too many quarterbacks making. You're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson. There's not too many other guys that you can name that are making throws from these arm angles, these body platforms, all these different things. Uh, and I think it was a big discrepancy in this game because that stat I just read on the same types of passes, Philip Rivers was three of nine for 59 yards and a touchdown. He was trying to get the ball out quickly. He was not wanting to sit back there. Uh, he had a few big plays, obviously, that, that worked in their favor. He played well. Philip Rivers, wire to wire, played a really good game, but he didn't have that element that Josh Allen has that almost feels essential to quarterbacking in the NFL in 2020 uh, because look at the way the Colts performed in the red zone, two of five, uh, you know, in terms of converting touchdowns, they seem to stall out at the goal line repeatedly, which is something that the bills don't do 
all that often because they have a quarterback who gives them a numbers advantage. He can run in, um, and they always have defenses always have to account for him. So to me, that was as much as that there was a million things in this game that we'll get into. You know, it was a crazy back and forth game uh, that taught us a lot about the Bills in a lot of different ways. But all year we were waiting for how Josh Allen would perform in the playoffs, how he would take what happened in Houston and not let it become the story of his early career. And I think what he did today helped erase a lot of what he did last year, although he did have that moment, that fumble at the end of the game that probably had some people having some flashbacks, but that was one moment as -hmm. opposed to uh, a really great game from him overall where he played otherwise uh, somewhat mistake-free. Yeah, I mean, that that play was a reminder, probably to him, to, in those situations, he doesn't have to be the hero, especially when he's surrounded by defenders. I think in a lot of cases when he uh, is in those spots, he, he at least has a release valve to go somewhere. But in that case, like, the Colts were just all around him. He needed to just go down, take the sack, live to fight another day. But instead, he kept on his feet. And he w- he's done a much better job of that this season. But instead, he kept trying to extend the play, extend the play. And by the time he was ultimately brought down, they stripped the ball from him clean. And if it weren't for Daryl Williams, this game probably uh, would have resulted in the Colts at least tying it or taking the lead and forcing the Bills into a, a late game drive to, to try and win the game. So um, that's that's a teachable moment for Josh Allen that didn't end up biting them. But the rest of his game outside of that one particular moment, he was, he was awesome in this game. He was their entire offense. I mean, Running the ball, he was he was outstanding. That that sixteen yard run at the end of the first half to to set them up first and goal from the five yard line like that that was a huge moment. It really that entire end of half drive I thought was just a microcosm of how far he's come in so many different areas. I, I went back and watched every single one of those plays and and really at the start of it it was um, just you just right from the get-go i mean they started that drive at their own four yard line and everyone remembers that everyone knows it's a 96 yard drive but the individual drive start of the eight yard line in the first half by the way three drives started inside their own 10 right that that's that was wild that they could overcome that but also an encouraging sign for them that they could overcome that but um but on that specific drive the very first play drops back coolly not panicked whatsoever, uh, sticks completely in the pocket. He's in the Bills' end zone at that point when when he when he gets to the top of his drop and just puts forward a dime to Stefan Diggs uh, right over the middle of the field, past the the second level of or past the Colts linebackers level of their zone, and Diggs drops it, um, which we haven't seen that much of much at all this year but that's that just goes to show like his calmness to go through his reads to to pick apart the sole weakness and to push the issue against the zone that's something we didn't see a lot from him last year the second play um when he went off script one of those plays it was a heavy blitz he immediately rolled right because he knew he wasn't going to have a clean pocket and that's the one where he feathered the ball to to gabriel davis along the sideline for 37 yards um that was just a gorgeous play because not only did he throw the ball with touch, which is something we didn't always see from him early in his career and and in parts last season, but the accuracy with the touch, which is something he has developed over time. The third play, uh, when there was nothing open past that first level of the defense, just a very simple um, take what the defense, what the zone defense will give, throw to Cole Beasley. You know, how many times have we seen Josh Allen in the past uh, try to force the issue, especially in end of half situations and ending up in in worse down and distance situations because of it? Instead, he just takes the easy one, gets to a second and three. They go from there. The next one um, was, I thought, his absolute 
best throw of the game and best play of the game where the Colts got some early pressure on him and he tried to escape to the right. Uh, This was on the fourth play of that drive. He tried to escape to the right. Uh, That avenue was blocked off. And so he kind of did like a little juke in, in the pocket and then uh, found, found a spot to, to roll to the left. But how many times in the past have we seen when he's rolled to the left that he doesn't get himself in the right position to throw it and it becomes a weak throw, uh, it becomes a very interceptable pass and and the Bills could either could possibly turn the ball over in, in those moments. But in this instance, and this goes way back to uh, all the work that he did in the offseason with his lower body mechanics, and realizing that he can't do it with only his arm and, and converting that into muscle memory when when guys are flying around at him, for him to turn his body just enough to square himself, to get enough power on the ball, and to use that power to accurately put it onto the sideline past that first level of linebacking defense, uh, the first level of zone defense, I should say, along the sideline to Gabriel Davis when he toe-tapped for for that one. That was an unbelievable throw, an unbelievable play by him. And it just goes to show, this guy is next level. There's there's really no doubting it. And when he's playing like that, as he has basically the entire season, I mean, it's going to take a strong effort to, to beat this Bills offense. Yeah, and I think, you know, Seeing it so often throughout the regular season was one thing because once this offense got rolling and they were hot, they were really hard to stop. And, you know, the level of competition in the regular season kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, and you're not, uh, you know, each each game can just, you know, vary so wildly. And, you know, he put together an amazing regular season. But it seemed like since September, October, when he started getting hot and started playing at that level, it was like, okay, we know he can do this in the regular season. What's he going to do in the playoffs? Because if he can find that magic in the playoffs, they have a chance against anybody, even in a game like this one where they really shouldn't have won if not for him. The defense did not play well uh, for most of the game. Um, the, The Colts wasted tons of opportunities to score. Like I said, two of five in the red zone. Uh, an amazing stat is that coming into this game, teams that had at least 450 yards of total offense and didn't turn the ball over were 11 and 0. The Colts did both of those things. They had a season high with 474 yards and they did not turn the ball over at all. And still the bills managed to beat them. That's because of their quarterback. Uh, we mentioned the average drive start uh, of the eight yard line in the first half. Every drive started from their own 15 or further back. Uh, three of them started inside the 10 yard line. And yet they still went to half with the lead because of that drive that you mentioned. Uh, and, you know, that play, uh, the other drive they had, which was an 80 plus yard drive that ended with that touchdown to Dawson Knox, another one that. I wouldn't necessarily consider an off-script play because I do think it was designed to be a run-pass option type, but even the scripted plays become, you know, improvised with Josh Allen because he just hung around, kept buying time, buying time, sucking the defense in towards him, and then had a pop pass while falling down to get the first touchdown of the game. This Colts team was really dangerous the entire game. Cole Beasley said it was the best defense that they played all season long. Uh, I don't know if he's wrong about that. I think, you know, the way they, it it was a really good chess match, um, you know, in terms of the schemes and everything else. And yes, there was a lot of missed opportunities from the Colts. If they capitalize on a few of those, maybe this game goes differently regardless of what Allen does. But fact of the matter is Allen playing like he did today, playing like he has for most of the season is really the only reason they won this game that when I look at it and, and yeah, probably, you know, some, some miscues by Frank Reich, but uh, you know, he was without question their most valuable player today. And 
there were times during the season where it was like, wow, he's throwing to some really open guys or Diggs is just dominating and, and Allen's just hitting him. That was not today. That Today was uh, Allen making a lot of things happen, making some throws that a lot of quarterbacks won't even attempt, uh, which usually I find to be a hyperbolic thing to say because in the NFL, there's a lot of good quarterbacks. A lot of them will attempt things. The, the idea of, no, you know, no quarterback on the planet makes these throws. It's usually hyperbole. Like I said, those guys I mentioned, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Patrick Mahomes, that's who you're talking about here uh, in terms of guys make like those throws to Gabriel Davis. A lot of guys will throw those balls away. Um, but the offense is also set up in such a way that they can take advantage of Josh Allen's ability to extend plays because they're coached to do it. You know, they have the type of receivers who are constantly looking to to get open deep into the progression. They never, even if they're the third option or whatever, they're not, and it's, you know, four or five seconds after the snap, they're not dogging it. They're coming back to the ball. Uh, they're, they they understand what they have under center uh, and, and kind of the magic that, that he brings. So it was to me, probably the most impressed I think I've been with him and, and that's saying something. Uh, I mean, maybe there was other times, maybe it's, you know, prisoner of the moment, but when it's the playoffs, it's different. And I think that's what, what stood out to me the most. Yeah. And I think another, uh, just going based off what you said, another facet to that, um, that end of half drive, which is why it was such a, such a, a moment for this for this Bills offense and specifically for Josh Allen is because it represented that he can pick himself up when things are not going well around them and that was something that we've seen from him as a characteristic uh, early on in the season the first time we saw it was against the Rams um, where they started off really hot and then everything went against them from the uh, uh, from from that point forward they wound up uh, trailing at the end of the fourth quarter but Allen picked himself up even after making some pretty bad mistakes in that game and put together a game-winning drive game-winning touchdown drive uh in, including just a, a ridiculous um conversion on I think it was like a third and 26 or, or third and 24 or something like that it was just it, it was it was one of those very critical moments of the season that showed growth and we've seen that a couple of times beyond that. I mean, I, I look to the end of the game against Arizona as one of those, even though um, even though they ended up losing that game. They probably should have won with the way that Josh Allen was able to put, put, a, put aside some of his past uh, failings in that game and put together an incredible end-of-game end drive, uh, you know, finishing with an absolute dime to Stefan Diggs in the end zone. But, you know, this is, uh, this is, that, that didn't go their way. But in this game in particular, that end of first half, when it seemed like the Colts were just giving them jabs left and right, and it seemed like they were, the Colts were basically dominating that game. Even though the Bills had scored ahead of, ahead of that point, it seemed like the, the game was at a very interesting spot there. And right after the Bills defense were able to get off the field facing a, a fourth and goal situation without surrendering any points, that was the spot for Allen. That was the key moment. That was that was him showing that he can brush aside all those past failings. I mean, this is a Bills team that ran only 17 offensive plays in the first 28 minutes of the game. Does anyone have any idea how rare that is for the for this Bills team in the way that they've played this season? Like they, there were sometimes they would have 17 plays on a drive, and they only had 17 plays in their first 28 uh, minutes. So for him to brush all that aside and deliver the drive that he did, and to show all the progress that he did, encapsulated into that drive, that's why it's such a big moment. That's why it's such a memorable one, and and that's why the Bills. The Bills are Super Bowl contenders. There's no, there's no way around it. It's they, they survived the Colts' best shot today, like on all three phases. The defense 
of the, of the Colts. They were doing some some nice things. Uh, the offense was pushing it down the field. Phillip Rivers didn't make a mistake, threw for over 300 yards. Their running game got going in the fourth quarter, which we'll get into uh, the run defense issues. And in uh, special teams-wise, the Bills were the inferior team, at, you know, outside of Tyler Bass just absolutely crushing a 54-yarder. But still, the Colts were winning a, a lot of different in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, like you said, Josh Allen was the reason they won this game, and it's the same reason why it's going to take a pretty good team and a really good effort to try and slow him down for for them to lose in this postseason. Yeah, it's why I think, you know, when you look at the potential matchups and everything else, uh, it'll be the Steelers, the Titans, or the Ravens, depending on how things shake out on Sunday. And all along when we've looked at teams, my thought has always been that the team with the toughest defense is going to be the toughest matchup because slow down Josh Allen, and all of a sudden the Bills are are not – quite as much of a threat you know they so much of what they do runs through josh allen they can't really they don't run the ball particularly well and they lost zach moss in this game for what could be an extended period of time uh they aren't playing outstanding on defense at the moment so you know i think they can handle in spurts pretty much any offense uh you know they're going to hang on defense but the teams they're going to do best against are the teams where they can score points. And this was a, if they're saying this was the best defense they played all year and they got to 27 with some meat on the bone and with not having the ball that long, not having, you know, any advantages in terms of field position early in the game. To me, that's where, you know, you look at this team and think things go, go their way a little bit more. The offense is going to have, um, there, there's going to be not too many teams capable of slowing down this offense. Now, where do they go from here, right? Do they, now that they have this under their belt, is the next game better uh, on both sides of the ball? Are they, are they able to put to bed some of the mistakes that they made early in this game and, you know, get off to a better start next week? Um, I think each one of these experiences that they've had over the last few years stacked on top of one another has led them to what they are it's it's start it's part of what has made josh allen who he is it's part of what has made uh, the rest of these guys who they are and i think it's why there's there's quite a bit of confidence i did sense a well and again like you said this is the first podcast we're doing after a, a bill's playoff win so um these playoff wins are new but there was very much a sense of of relief. You know, you saw them pile on top of one another uh, after the game. You you heard it uh, in the the post game news conferences just how excited these guys were. Even Sean McDermott, um, you know, kind of he felt a release from these guys. Yeah, you know, getting yeah, their, their first playoff win, which was a departure from everything else this year. Even the division win and everything else was, hey, we got bigger things in mind. We got bigger things in mind. And there was a little bit of that after this game, but I think they were taking the time to appreciate what it was and appreciate, you know, it meant a lot to them that there were people in the building, um, that there was some noise there, that there were some some human reactions to what they were doing on the field and that those people could see what was, you know, 25 years Um in the making. Now it's about bottling that up, regrouping and, you know, making sure they're ready to go next week. Cause a pretty damn good team is going to come in for the divisional round, regardless of which of those three advance, you know, ends up uh, in, in the bill side of the bracket. And they probably have to be better in a few areas uh, to take down one of those teams. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, the, the way that you were describing, how they were responding to the victory after the game is totally right. I mean, I'm glad you brought up McDermott because I don't know that we've seen that much of an emotional showing. And it didn't even seem like it was much compared to a lot of other people. But like right after the game, just 
he basically locked his arms as he, as he put both uh, both hands and and looked up with with the fingers pointing to the sky. Like we we do not see that much from McDermott really ever. And you had to think that being to the playoffs this this being his third time, like that there's a lot of pressure on him there because when you get to the playoffs for a third time and you lose your first two times, if you lose lose a third time in the first game, then you have the reputation as a coach who's good in the regular season but, but can't get his guys to, to win a playoff game. And, you know, that, fair or not, that is something that happens throughout the NFL and, and that pressure can drive a coach and a team mad if it, if it goes on for too long. So for him to be able to do what he did... And I actually found it interesting. Um, you know, I, I forgot about this fact, but you know, seeing sitting here and and listening to some of the the pregame stuff uh, on CBS, Bill Cower said, you know, when I first started out in coaching, I dropped my first two playoff games too. And he said, and he said, I'm I'm thinking that Sean McDermott gets gets his first one here today. He ended up being being right, but then I then I just thought to myself, like, how much different would Bill Cower's um, tenure in Pittsburgh would have been had he not won that third playoff game. Um, and it's it's just, it's only one game, but it means so much to the entire operation. It's their third go-around. It's their best shot at, at winning and moving on and everything like that. And it had that release that you're talking about just had to be such an incredible feeling for for um, for the Bills and, and, and for, for McDermott to be able to actually... Put aside that okay, they got their first playoff game, and it's almost like okay, now they can, now they can handle their business and and to and try and chase a championship because all of the all of these demons that they've been exercising throughout the year, whether it be winning the division, sweeping the Patriots, um, getting to the playoffs, the first uh, getting to the playoffs and and winning their first game, um, and you know hosting their first playoff game. All of those are now out of the way. Like the the lapses that they've had for in terms of be, going to the AFC Championship or um, going to the Super Bowl. I mean, those are not necessarily uncommon uh, in respect to the rest of the league anymore. Now it's just prove that you can win a title and take advantage of this window that you have. There's no more of this, you know, purging of all of these bad feelings anymore. They are past it. This is now a team that should be expected to compete for a championship this year. And it's going to be, t- it's going to take, uh, they're going to have to earn it, no doubt, because these are, this is a really good AFC field. But man, this, this is as good of a shot as, as they're, they're ever going to have, I think. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the window that we talk about, they, they do have, young talent all over the field they have a young quarterback entering the prime of his career but that does not mean that it will ever be this good of a chance again what it means when you have a quarterback like that is that you'll have a chance entering just about every season right you'll enter the season thinking you've got a chance at the postseason and if everything clicks and falls into place you got a chance to make a run at a title Everything clicking and falling into place is this. It's staying healthy. It's having the money to spend at the right positions, having guys entering the prime of their career, playing their best ball at the right time, and all with one another, having the money to spend on certain parts of the roster, hitting on a few draft picks. There's going to be some ups and downs, uh, regardless of who you are. There's not too many quarterbacks that just rip off you know, Super Bowl wins. So to have a shot like the one that they have, I think is a big deal. And I think what you're talking about, about, you know, kind of sending some of those, you know, burying some of those past failures is a big deal in the sense that they, I think, felt a lot of pressure in this game. And it was a different kind of pressure. It was the usual playoff pressure and what comes with playing uh, that you know type of game. But it was also 
the fact that everybody was picking them to win. Almost everybody was picking them to win. Uh, and they were expected to win. And not only were they expected to win, but if they didn't win, like you mentioned, Sean McDermott is a coach who's 0-3 in the playoffs. Josh Allen is a quarterback who's 0-2 in the playoffs. They're a team that still hasn't won a playoff game since the mid-90s. All of that would continue to hang over them throughout the offseason, throughout the, the next preseason and regular season. It would continue to be something that they have to deal with internally and externally, and it's gone now. So the question becomes, is that a weight off that allows them to play like they have nothing to lose and play free and really make a run at this thing? Or, you know, you need to, you'd rather them treat it that way than to treat it like that was just the Super Bowl, what they just did, right? You know, you don't want to fall into that trap either of finally won a playoff game. That's it. You know, that this, you know, that's the measure of progress. Don't get me wrong. If they lose next week, that's, that's not a failure necessarily. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you said, they've gotten to the point They've gotten past the point of where we're talking about them like a team that needs to check certain boxes to validate their rebuild or their their organizational structure and everything like that. You know, you don't need to to validate the quarterback or the coach or the GM uh, or quite a few of these players. You're now in that tier of NFL teams. You're one of what the final eight right so Mm -hmm. to get from eight down to one some weird stuff has to happen you know you're not guaranteed to get anywhere they still have to win two more games but i think it's about how good of a chance that they have how healthy they still are how well their quarterback is playing how much you know when you look ahead you know what's going to have to happen to this roster to to keep it all together None of that is even a concern right now when your quarterback's on his rookie deal and you've been able to surround him with so much talent. So I think it's a matter of, you know, for them, hopefully they have that weight off and they can go into the rest of these games saying, you know, go and get it because there's no more there's no more risk of this season being a complete, not that it would have been a complete failure if they lost today, but it would have been bad. That would have been a huge wasted opportunity and what defined this season more than everything that came before it. And from here on out, there's something to lose. Of course, there's opportunity to lose, but they can play a little bit more free, I think, because of getting this one against the Colts. Yeah. They will never have as deep of a roster with Josh Allen as their quarterback, as they have this year, again, they will, I mean, there's also those murmurs, reports out there that they are will already be looking into giving him that big-time contract extension, which would probably lessen the cap hits per year because he still has um, one more year and the, the fifth-year option Uh, to go on his initial rookie deal, but it will still make his cap number jump um, this coming season if they were to sign it. So, and then they've got all the rest of the turnover. They've got the salary cap potentially going all the way down to 175.9 million after being at nearly 200 million this year. Like there are a lot of reasons why this team that they've assembled, this depth of team that they have assembled could be one of their best cracks at winning everything this season, especially with how well they are playing and what you pointed out, the health, uh, everything along with it. You do need some things to go your way, but the Bills have also had some things that have gone their way, even in even in this first week. So yeah, this is, they, they, they certainly need to clean some, some stuff up, but they have a legitimate opportunity right now and and it's going to be on them to to capitalize on it and to know that all of these things that they've had to vanquish is now off the table like it, now it's just go and win 
go and get a championship and and take advantage right now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. But one of those things that they have to clean up, without question, um, is whatever the heck happened to their run defense, especially late in the game. I was actually blown away by this split from the first three quarters to the fourth quarter in terms of their run defense. I mean, you know, everyone will remember how much they were gashed in the fourth quarter, and it it certainly will shift the whole perspective of the game. But in the first three quarters, the Bills were defending the run excellently. Like, uh, on running back carries, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines combined for 60 yards on 21 carries, which was 2.9 yards per carry. And for a team that was depending solely uh, on the run coming into it, for well, for the most part on the run coming into the game, they took that away and they wanted to, to try and make Phillip Rivers beat them. And Rivers had a, a great game in this one, don't get me wrong, and they're going to have to clean some, up, some stuff up there. But when they got to the fourth quarter, the Bills uh, were out there for 24 defensive snaps. The Colts ran it with their running backs six times out of those 24 snaps. And on those six plays, the Colts gained 93 yards, which was a 15.5 yards per carry average. So they went from the first three quarters of only giving up 2.9 yards per carry to running backs to 15.5 uh, in the fourth quarter. Like John McDermott, that's got to be one of the first things he, when he goes and watches the film tonight, that's got to be one of the first things he tries to figure out. Like, what went wrong in the fourth quarter for the run defense after they were preparing for it all week long to figure out how to stop this this team? And the fact that they did it successfully and then it just magically erased on them, um, that's got to be something he tries to figure out in addition to finding out what concepts beat the Bills so soundly again and again uh, through the air in the intermediate areas and trying to figure out how to not let that become a problem next week because surely whoever they face will see whatever the Colts did uh, with their passing offense and try to duplicate it. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, or some of the issue was tackling. Uh, Yeah, certainly. And that couldn't be part of, you know, having to stop those guys for so long and on so many attempts. Jonathan Taylor carried the ball 21 times. And then you're dealing with Taylor so often that when Hines comes in, that that idea of a change of pace type of guy, um, you know, that worked for the Colts. Uh, and I think tackling was a part of it, and that's a real good offensive line uh, that finally started to to create some room. Phillip Rivers was throwing the ball better, probably opening up some of the the run. But yeah, tackling to me was was probably the biggest issue and something that. No matter who they play next round, whether it's the Ravens, the obvious, uh, an obvious, uh, you know, team that you need to be able to to tackle, a, you know, really difficult quarterback to tackle, a difficult couple of difficult backs. Uh, Derrick Henry is, from what I understand, I've never tried to do it personally, but I understand he's pretty difficult to tackle. Um, and the Steelers, a lot of quick passing, you know. A different type of tackling challenge, but that was a problem for the Bills' defense. This was a uh, a 24-point effort from the Colts where they missed a field goal and left a lot else on the table. So they need to 
get back to the drawing board and figure out what's going wrong on defense because they seem to have something working in the final month of the year, and it it got away from them, especially late in this game. Yeah, it did, and I thought the the tackling issue is is certainly one that they're going to have to shore up. Um, I also thought their 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 fills on the on the running lanes were not as good as they were early on in the game. Um, one player that I thought particularly took a downturn once the fourth quarter arrived was Tremaine Edmonds. Um, I, I actually thought in the first three quarters, Edmonds was playing as well as a run defender as I've seen from him this year. I mean, he was fighting through blocks. He was getting into the run lane. Um, he was he was making contact and you know holding up the running back at least, if not making the tackle himself. Uh, for his defenders, uh, defensive teammates to get there, so th- that's that's an area because he's s- depended on so heavily by this team to be able to fight through those areas and and to be able to to shore up those those run lanes. Um, so that's that's going to be uh, an interesting thing to track to see if uh, McDermott figures out what the heck happened besides the broken tackles in that game, and then. I think, uh, again, it's the route concepts. Like, what were the two or three concepts that just stung the Bills repeatedly? Because Rivers, when they needed a play, they got it. Like, I I need to go back and find the third down. They went 9 of 17 on third downs, which... A lot of them were third and five plus. It seemed like like the Colts could not catch the ball unless it was on third down. They had so many drops in this game, and yet every time it was third down and they needed a play, it seemed like they were coming through. Even that fourth down late in the game. Yeah, and I think just for them, the Bills, they live for those third down situations, third and five plus. Like that is what they built for. That is their overall defensive philosophy. Keep everything underneath, force a third and five, uh, defend the the area along the first down line. Um, try to encourage a throw underneath, and then go get the tackle. Uh, but they were not doing. They were not upholding that. They were getting beat beyond that level of of the defense. They were getting beat beyond that level of the secondary. Uh, there were some questionable things. Like I saw on one of the plays, they had Jerry Hughes drop back to try and simulate some pressure. But I think at that point in the game, um, they should have just realized that Rivers is going his main priority was to get the ball out of his hand quickly. He was not going to hang on to that thing past three seconds. I mean, he he didn't even average two and a half seconds, like you said. So for them to and I understand you want different looks, but on third downs, you're trying to get off the field and and you and you haven't had a lot of success to drop Jerry Hughes back in that instance. He can do it. But he's not a threat in coverage the same way that Matt Milano is or the same way that Tremaine Edmonds is. And you're not going to fool that Colts offensive line. So there were a couple of missteps, I, I think, just from play calling on, on, that third, on those third downs. But I do think in normal circumstances, those are the types of opportunities that they strive for. And the fact that they weren't able to convert on really any of those, like, third and five plus that we're talking about Uh, that's that's I don't think that is something that's sustainable on this defense because they've been pretty good with those throughout the year especially in the second half of the season but still a concerning thing to try and figure out what happened uh, for McDermott those are going to be his his top two things he needs to to try and uh, diagnose heading into this second round because again it's copycat they're going to see a lot of the same until they prove that they they uh, can stop it. And that, that'll be the heavy emphasis, I'm sure, from Sean McDermott. And a big thing, too, is that it's, and we, I feel like, have driven this point home, but there's so much dependent on matchups. You know, what works, mm-hmm. a bad day against the Colts doesn't mean a bad day against the Steelers or the Ravens or the Titans, but some of these issues are, uh, issues that other teams can exploit and that they'll want to they'll want to get shored up because you can't count on Josh Allen to necessarily carry you the way that he did at times in this game 
all the time. It's a lot easier to make a run deep into the playoffs uh, if you've got things working on both sides of the ball. Yeah, no doubt. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's hand out some awards. And I think we should bring back the um, the Matt Barkley Award uh, just because, you know, we've we've basically circled around the the three or four awards that we've had, I think we should bring back the uh, the Matt Barkley one because there are some there were some surprise performances in this game. So I think I think that should that should qualify. Um, and for the postseason Matt Barkley award, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Gabe Davis, Gabriel Davis, who perfect on all of his uh, targets, four catches, 85 yards, those two clutch ones. Uh, along the sideline the broadcast called him mr perimeter which i thought was very fitting um because to have that sideline awareness and uh the body control to do those things along with catching the ball i mean that's that's not something that every receiver has it's it's kind of an innate quality to understand where you are on the field and to be able to to bring those receptions in in that spot particularly uh i mean just just a pleasant surprise for them, and not to mention, he only played 49% of the snaps in this game. So it's not as though he had a ton of opportunity. He had 29 snaps total by my count. Um, meanwhile, uh, some others kind of didn't disappeared, but we'll, we'll leave those for, for later awards. But Gabe Davis gets gets the Matt Barkley Award. Um, how about for the, um, the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance? Who do you have? I'm going to give that to Cole Beasley. Um, oh, for sure. The, good, good answer. The pain that he undoubtedly was playing through was pretty evident when when you watched. You could see him, you know, pretty pretty gingerly getting up after each of his catches, and yet he caught all seven of his targets for fifty seven yards. Uh, always seems like almost every catch he makes is a, an important one, or you know, something that they they really need and. He played a great game considering, uh, you know, the fact that he was playing hurt. And, yeah, 7 for 57, you know, might be not overly impressive uh, to the naked eye. But, uh, you know, when you, you watch the game and understand the context of those plays, uh, he was pretty good. And on a week that he got a, a second-team All-Pro nod, no less. He got an All-Pro vote from uh, Peter King, which caused a bit of stir but I will say I kind of like the line of thinking Peter King is using. If you're going to have a three-receiver all-pro team, wouldn't the third guy be a slot receiver? Right. And is there a better slot receiver in the NFL this year than Cole Beasley? Uh, he's certainly been incredible on third downs that's for sure so i mean yeah Yeah. if you're saying just the three most productive receivers in the nfl cole beasley is not one of those players but if you have to pick a slot receiver same as if you have to pick a nickel corner if you're picking three corners and you pick tradavius white josh norman and levi wallace you know i'm just throwing out those three names because those are the ones bills fans understand and the ones i watch you know and then you have to throw one of those in the slot you're going to be a lot worse off than with Taron Johnson. Does that mean Taron Johnson's better at boundary corner? I mean, so 
thinking of it in context of specific positions, I'm okay with the Beasley pick, but it was, uh, it was a little funny to see it cause such a stir. Uh, but he's the best slot receiver in football. He's a big deal when he's in the game for this offense. He showed that today, even at less than a hundred percent. Um, how many snaps did he play? Uh, let's see. Snap count wise. I think he was in like the 70% range. I'll, I'll get it for you. Um, exactly. Hang on one sec. Cole Beasley played 41 out of 59 snaps by my account. A uh, 70% uh, snap snap percentage on the game. So it wasn't. So a lot. It's a good amount for, for yeah. how banged up he was. So, yeah, very much deserving of mention in the same sentence as Blaine Gabbert, which I know is a big... <laughs> Uh, big role of or goal of his yeah and um especially with the with the ap award if you do not directly say what people should be voting for it's open-ended at that point yeah the voting process is so screwy like yeah that's probably the, the more frustrating part about right um you know the whole thing the whole argument is nobody's arguing the same thing but and it's a shame that, you know, that happens for Cole Beasley and he becomes sort of like this uh, lightning rod uh, of mm-hmm. debate um, rather than people talking about the good year that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, two for two with receivers winning awards, and it's going to be three for three um, with the Dre Archer Award because the player who did not show up today, I'm going to go with John Brown. Four targets, zero catches, one drop. 96.6% of snaps in this game. Um, and to make matters slightly worse, well, not slightly, it seemed like on that almost interception, he could have gotten himself back to it to be more competitive and, and try to at least bat the ball down. It seemed like he was just continuing on on his route. Um, I mean, I mean the Brown, Brown had... A solid game against the Dolphins last week in his first game back from a from a long layoff. But I mean, to put up a zero burger against uh, against the Colts in the playoffs, especially a, a secondary that has been giving up lots of yards, that's a uh, a tough thing to take, especially for people that were so excited about John Brown being back in the lineup. So John Brown gets the Dre Archer Award. Yeah, his uh, counterpart on the other side could get the reverse. Three Archer Award because lucky for the Bills, even though John Brown didn't show up, Stephon Diggs very much did. Um, oh, yeah. Six no catches, one twenty-eight, and a touchdown. He was, he was everything he's been all year. Uh, and you know, I think that's when you talk about the difference between, you know, this idea that well, John Brown is basically a number one receiver. It's like they have two number one receivers. No, they have a number one receiver in Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what a number one looks like. Uh, and I think this game underscored that in a big way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very, I don't really have a good candidate for the Vontae Davis award. I'd I say the think. run I mean, defense. It, yeah, that, that's, that's probably it. But even they were, they were still good in the third quarter. So I don't know if it, it, cla- it totally fits, but I guess for the, the fourth quarter showing it, it's, it's good enough to, to steal the award one thing i thought about today as i was sitting there because philip rivers was having a great game and it's the at least the third time i've seen him have a great game in that stadium uh fourth time i've seen him have a great game against the bills because uh there was the peterman game <laughs> but i was thinking to myself yeah I'm, you know the last time he was here you know he had a great game and they crushed the bills and i was like yeah it was 2018 and then i was you know doing the math and i was like wait a second that was the Vontae davis game uh because i remember being in the chargers locker room when it happened that's how i learned that it happened because i was in there and they were philip rivers uh melvin gordon and one of their receivers maybe keenan allen uh were all like standing around one of their lockers like laughing like oh my god he quit like can you believe it like he just left he just quit and they were all laughing about it um wow. so i thought about that today i thought about Vontae davis uh even before this wow <laughs> I, for, I forgot it, w- it was the chargers game quite uh quite hilarious allen's first start yes yes he he got a a 
whole bunch of playing time in that week one blowout against the Ravens that year. And that was all the uh, all the Bills needed to see from good old Nathan Peterman in 2018. Um, and they probably brought on Josh Allen starting earlier than they expected it to, but I think it all turned out okay for them. I'd say so. Um, okay, and the, the last award is the Gotta Watch the Tape Award. Uh, I'm probably going to have to go with the overall pass protection uh, in, in this game. You know, the offensive line is a great, uh, a great group to really focus on uh, for the Gotta Watch the Tape Award because you don't really know what you're seeing until you actually get to the tape. And the fact that Allen was, wasn't getting as much pass protection as he has in some other games, you know, that, uh, that, led to some potentially negative spots, led to him going off his spot where he was forced to go off script. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give it to the offensive line on the whole and with a, with an emphasis on, on Mitch Morse, I think. I didn't really like like his game in this one, but, you know, got to watch the tape to try and uh, see exactly what happened out there. Yeah, Morse wasn't, wasn't his best. Uh, I would nominate frank reich for this but he sort of fell on his own sword in the the post-game mm. press conference he didn't even have to watch the tape to know how badly he screwed up that challenge that cost them a timeout near the end of the game that they probably could have used that timeout mm-hmm. and the other one i'll nominate with a little bit of hesitation because i don't really care for this most of the time but that call at the end of the game the fumble that yeah. Almost threw the the game into balance there a little bit. Nah, the the league put out an explanation. Funny thing about the league's explanations on almost every call is like kind of like your parents' explanation when you would ask, you know, when you were a little kid, like, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? And it would be like, well, that's just because I said so. <laughs> that might as well be the league's explanation on all of these. Like they offer explanations, but don't. It's kind of insulting. Like after the games, they they make you know usually make a, a referee or somebody in the official you know um, you know in New York available for you know whatever pool report explanation type of thing, and it's always just you know this is what happened, and this was why there wasn't enough to overturn it. There's never like a why it's just like, mm-hmm. yes, we know what the call is. We know that, you know, it's a, uh, um, you know, down by contact or whatever else, but it's like, this was the explanation of, of the call just pulled it up. The ruling on the field is that the runner was down by contact. There was no clear and obvious visual evidence to overturn the ruling. So it stands like no kidding. Like, what do you okay so why was there no clear and obvious the you would say okay look what were you debating did jordan poyer touch him like i would listen to that like i would listen to a nuanced conversation instead of why even offer the explanation if it's just going to be okay we know the ruling that was already established that the ruling was that the runner was down by contact and then the second part there was no clear and obvious visual evidence to overturn the ruling so it stands well, we already know that the ruling stands. We, we're already aware of that. It would be a lot more jarring if it was, there was clear and obvious visual evidence to overturn the ruling, but it stands anyways. Like, right. we know it stands because there's no clear, that is the rule. All you're saying is the rule. That's all you're repeating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why is why is Josh Allen good? Well, because he's good. Well, why? You know, explain it. Like, <laughs> it's... The call didn't bother me all that much. Like, I don't think it was a very good call, um, but there's a lot of lousy calls. But this isn't Mm -hmm. the first time this has happened where it's like the explanation is just like not an explanation at all. So they would be better off saying, you know, what, we've got to watch the tape on that one. Yes, I agree. It's also perfectly okay, and not only perfectly okay, at some times it's it's powerful to admit when you are wrong on stuff like that shows that you're actually working on 
getting better with this stuff. And the NFL is thought to be league-wide with some of the, this review stuff where clear and obvious things that, uh, you know, common sense and from their rule book show it to be one way and they go the other way just because they're doubling down. It, that's and, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm not really a big proponent of of like all the the whole challenging what uh, what officials call you know when it's especially when it's quick decisions i think the reviewed plays opens up kind of a, a bigger sphere here for for some criticism just because if it's going to review you should get it right um if there if there is some conclusive evidence there and it looked like there was some pretty conclusive evidence there that it, that it was in fact a fumble. And I think the the NFL just escaped an absolute hellscape from <laughs> from Bills fans if that game ended up going the Colts way. Um, it it's yeah that was that was one where they should have they just doubled down and basically said, you know what. It wasn't a fumble because you're stupid. That's that's basically what it what it it's because you're stupid and we know more than you. So ha. Because that's, I say that's so. Ba- like right. Don't right. Don't even what like like I said. I don't think the call is like that egregious. What you know, it was a bad call. Like you know, I, I don't. The amount of time that gets spent worrying about calls. I mean, they're screwed up constantly uh, and. Yeah, I, I kind of, I just never, it never bothers me. It's just like, whatever, you know, like a, a bad call, you know, nobody's out to get anybody. They're all trying to do, do their best, whatever. Mm-hmm. But seriously, like, don't even, well, it's such a waste of time too, when it's like, oh, we got to ask the, ask for a pool report and somebody's got to spend some time to get on the phone with one of these people who just says this, like, I'm I'm looking at it right now and I can't even like I can't find anything in this explanation that explains anything that nobody didn't already know. Like mm-hmm. why were there fans in in Bill Stadium? Well, there were fans in the stadium because they determined that fans should be in the stadium. Well, <laughs> why? How? How did they do that? You know, why did the Bills put up so many points? Well, they put up so many points because they moved the ball downfield and scored a lot of touchdowns. Well, why? You know, just rephrasing what they did or rephrasing what happened is not an explanation. So don't even offer it. Who cares? Who cares? Like, just say, deal with it. Like, next time NFL officiating, official explanation for the call, and it's just the GIF would deal with it. Like... (laughs) Exactly. What might as well be what they're doing. One of uh, my one of uh, my brother's favorite things he likes to compare things to is uh, the movie Idiocracy. He does it quite often, and I think this one applies to when they are trying to grow grass by using like a uh, a Gatorade or a Powerade Powerade type substance instead of using water, and people and people from i think the the past are like why don't you just use water it's like well because this has electrolytes but what do the electrolytes do well this has electrolytes like that it's it's that it's it's that sort of um energy to it i'll say okay um so the bills are moving on they have a divisional game and they're going to host that divisional game regardless of who the opponent will be it could be the Steelers it could be the Titans it could be the Ravens but it cannot be the Cleveland Browns if the Browns advance they will move on to face the Kansas City Chiefs if the Steelers advance the Bills will play the Steelers if the Browns advance then the Bills will take on the winner of the Titans and Ravens so it should be an interesting Sunday all right Matthew Fairburn any fond words of farewell on this Saturday evening I feel like I just uh I just used them all up uh, mm. on these uh, NFL the NFL officiating Twitter account what a what a crock of garbage uh, this account is 
I should just go through and I'm going to go down a rabbit hole on this account. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, oh, you have, you have so many more ways to see all the these explanations because there's probably <laughs> some doozies in here. I bet you I'm going to learn so much about NFL officiating on this stupid account. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the, this is the ruling because it's the ruling. Yeah. That's what you're going to get because 10 times out of yeah, 10. Because I said so. Well, why do you say so? <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Well, I will say it was a it was a dandy of a game. Uh, a great way to start off yeah. NFL Wild Card Weekend, Super Wild Card Weekend, um, if you will. And it was it was definitely uh, you know a, a day that I think whoever was there um, will remember because it there's something about you know the whole. Probably one of the most uh, annoying things of the week for me was everybody saying, man, 6,700 is going to sound like 67,000. Like, that's not how anything works. Um, No human sounds like 10 humans. But the thing that was impressive about it or the thing that was striking about it was that I think for the guys that played going so long without anybody being there, you could have had a hundred people in there and it would have felt like something because, you know, you just, they just had reactions to plays and they had, you know, that human contact that has been missing for so many people in 2020. And, um, they were able to sprinkle them around the bowl so that it was, it was evenly dispersed and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good little crowd. Uh, they made some noise and, um, I don't think they altered the, uh, the outcome of the game. Clearly they didn't because, uh, the, the refs probably would have overturned that uh, call and given them the fumble uh, if they were a little more concerned about how many fans were there. But um, yeah, good crowd and a, I think a, a nice, uh, nice start to the football weekend. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so we will see who the Bills will face in the divisional round, and the next time we will speak with you all will be to preview the Bills' second playoff game here of of the year and see if they can move on to the AFC Championship. The Bills are now only three straight victories away from winning a Super Bowl and only one victory away from being a part of the NFL's Final Four. Pretty uh, wild stuff. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you next week. See you then. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.